over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, we're on the final stretch, ladies and gentlemen, of my attempt to break the Guinness World Book of Records for a 32-hour broadcast within four days, 96 hours. And I want to thank you, especially Nancy, because... Uh, You've been giving me tactical air support, nutrition, vitamins. Uh, you've been keeping me going, you and the cats. Yeah, that that, and just relinquishing my time with you, so giving what, you to the world. Yeah, you uh, you made that very apparent to me uh, earlier this evening, that's for sure. But it's all for the cause of being able to be a world champion in uh, radio broadcasting. And my favorite hour out of all the many hours that I do here at WABC is the Animal Welfare Hour, and it turns out it's the favorite hour of our listeners, our callers, and people who seek further information. First off, let me introduce many of you for the very first time. You may be listening that we do a half-hour video exclusive to WABC now uh, on YouTube, the WABC YouTube channel. You just uh, type in Red Apple Media. And the last... uh, um, the last episode, that's episode number seven, was about the many whales and the many uh, dolphins that are washing ashore dead as a result of uh, what could be any number of factors. And Nancy goes into it at length. You don't want to miss it. It's a half hour, and you should share it with others. Uh, episode eight, though, which will be uploaded and available to all of you on the WABC uh YouTube channel is about tuna. We we lost tuna, uh, our cherished uh, elderly cat uh, of the many that we have in our home. Uh, back on Friday, we have sat eight days of shiva, which is the normal time uh, to honor those who have passed into the hereafter. And tuna is a family member of ours. We don't consider uh, uh, her an animal or any of the uh, cats that Nancy has rescued. And she is featured in the video that will be posted on Wednesday. What are your feelings? Eight days later, I, I can't get tuna out of my mind, Nancy. It's I mean, I think about tuna morning, noon, and night. Uh, I mean, well, to your point, we did a, a very nice uh, tribute to tuna. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different just getting accustomed to the fact that you know, tuna isn't here. I mean, I, I I didn't realize how much my daily activities, you know, really, like, revolved around her. So, I mean, it, there's definitely a lot of adjustment. Like, I'm just I'm just expecting to see her. So, I mean, I think that's going to take a while, like, until that sets in that she just isn't there. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's adjusting. It's adjusting, obviously. Um, but, you know, I mean, I miss her greatly. I you know I mean now as more time is is going on like I do you know it's it's kind of easier to think about the um you know the better things and you know and, and also just you know think about that 
at, at towards the end, you know, it was just, you know, I, I think it was just the time. You know, it, it now it kind of seems a little bit more, you know, being distanced from it, it's it's a little easier, I guess. And on a few occasions, uh, when I've gone to the bathroom uh, after laying down for my four hours of uh, sleep each day, I've actually called down and said, Tuna, Tuna, <laughs> Tuna, not, not accepting the fact that my AARP friend, because that was my nickname for her, is no longer there. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It hurts. But uh, it segues us into an article that was written, a very extensive article in the New York Times, about how many cats are too many cats, and various feline owners weighed in. What were you able to extrapolate from that, Nancy? Well, I mean, first of all, everyone has, uh, you know, different opinions on that. So, you know, they, they looked at certain categories and they were trying to, you know, surmise like, okay, well, what is a what is a way for someone to judge it if, you know, they were trying to figure out. So, you know, of course it starts off with like financial. I think that's always, you know, one of the biggest, most important factors because, of course, there's, you know, costs associated with it, um, you know, beyond just like uh, vet and medical bills, but you know, then that leads into space also. So the amount of space that you can have, um, you know, for for them. But then also, now, you know, now you start having more than two or three or four, you're also getting into personalities, right? So that's another issue that happens the more pets you have. So if you're, you know, like that's something to be mindful of too, right? So sometimes people get, you know, bonded pets, like, you know, pets who've grown up together, but then when you're introducing a new pet into the household and they, you know, they haven't uh, known each other before, there can be a period of time where they're warming up to each other. Sometimes they may never get along. And, you know, they also look at things like, oh, well, if you have children, how's that going to factor into it? Now, time is a big one, right? And that's one that, you know, isn't necessarily paid a lot of attention to often because, you know, people will, like, uh, presume that cats, oh, they're very independent, oh, they don't really need you that much. I can set them up and I can be at work all day. You know, I don't have to be as social with them. But, you know, that's not really a true thing because there's a lot of time that you're spending with them where you're also, you know, uh, there's exercise. So, like, when you're playing with them, this way they're getting exercise out. That helps increase their health. So, you know, and then also just develops the relationship. So, you know, ultimately it, it was really just weighing all of those factors and, you know, deciding, like, what is the, the right mix for you. Obviously, you know, we, we I think, are capable of handling uh, more cats than most people because, you know, we're well-equipped with all of that goes into caring for them. But it's definitely a personal decision, uh, you know, a lot of things to consider. And you uh, are of the personal belief that where possible, if you're going to have a cat, try to have two so that when you're not around or you're not in your domicile or your place of work, uh, the cat will have somebody that it can bond with, that it can be friends with, that it can play with and exist with. Yeah, I mean, I, I always think that, you know, unless there's some overriding reason with, you know, the personality or the disposition or something otherwise related to that cat, you know, it just kind of makes sense because it's, it's how they are enjoying you know, it's it's not just about your interaction with them. It's like trying to give them the happiest sort of life that you can. And I definitely think a companion who's, you know, going to do the things that they're doing and also the time that you're not there. 
And it's also a great way to also enjoy pet ownership in general because you don't have to directly interact with them because you could be observing them interacting. And, you know, that in itself is enjoyable. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now from cats to dogs. And again, the old gray lady had a really extensive story in the New York Times on what your dog's behavior means. Now, I've had dogs, and I know, Nancy, you've had dogs. But what conclusions uh, came about from this article? Well, this is actually really interesting. Uh, It was, you know, uh, basically journeying this, uh, you know, uh, couple's uh, experience with a dog they had where they wound up uh, bringing the dog to, you know, like a trainer because they were perceiving, you know, quote-unquote, like sort of bad behavior. And in learning to, like, read about the, the language of the dog and how to interact with their dog, so one of the biggest things they really were learning is that a lot of times the the perceptions that people uh, put on dogs, is, you know, it's that they're, um, you know, putting people emotions onto dogs, right? So the way that they act that would seem friendly, oh, they're coming up to you and they're, you know, they're aggressively like licking you and wagging their tail, like, oh, that that seems like a friendly thing in human behavior, but what they're saying is that there's a lot of behaviors that, uh, you know, people would, you know, by default interpret as cute, friendly dog behavior, but it's they're actually, you know, they're clues where they're trying to let you know, I'm nervous, I'm uncomfortable, you know, I don't want to be in this situation, maybe I don't like something about this situation we're in, and then by being able to read that, that you know, that's important because that nervousness can be the precursor to aggression. So obviously that's an important thing. But, you know, what what is interesting is that, you know, it's pointing out that there's a lot of dogs that really aren't very sociable. And, you know, when I think about uh, people I see who, you know, uh, walk dogs in the city, like there is this presumption that every time, you know, you see someone with a dog, oh, you're going to stop, oh, they're going to be introduced. But, you know, like in reading this article, it's like there are, you know, dogs that really don't want to be in that situation. They don't want to be introduced to strangers. They don't want to meet new dogs. And, you know, they might be being forced into these situations really against their will. Oh, and they're also, because uh, I know you've had dogs, I had dogs. Uh, in fact, uh, the largest dog I had was a combination Great Dane and German Shepherd. Massive dog who you could tell when he liked somebody. And you can tell when he didn't like somebody. And the dog's personality was so evident. He wore it like on his fur. So, for instance, if somebody was visiting the house in Canarsie and he didn't like them, he put his paw right in front of their leg, preventing them from going any further. (laughs) And he would put his head right down on the shoe, almost as if to suggest if you make another move, I'm going to bite your ankle right off without yeah, actually. Right, and if you could see that behavior, and I could see someone saying, oh, isn't that cute and sweet? Like, oh, the dog's putting their, you know, their their face on your foot. But to your point, that was the dog's way of saying, don't get any closer. Yeah, I don't like you. I'm not going <laughs> to bite you. I'm not going to growl. But you don't go any further. And everybody looked at uh, the dog and knew the dog meant business. Now, you had different experiences uh, with dogs. You mentioned a particular 
type of dog that you had that you felt was like uh, uber friendly? Is like so good to to have as a friend and a family member? Oh well, I had a, a black Labrador a dog growing up, and I I felt that that was uh, you know the disposition of that dog is especially when you have children is so great because you know you can be so interactive and you know children are very hands on sometimes in a you know not really aware of boundaries when they're young and i think they're very understanding of the fact that you're a kid and you know they're not aggressive like that's what i've noticed and they're very protective and uh in terms of a, a dog that would also provide security because a lot of people will have dogs to almost act as an alarm, you know, because they can sense when danger or a stranger is coming or somebody is lurking about. How was uh, your black lab in dealing with that? You know, it was it was funny because, you know, thinking about it now, but when I was, uh, you know, when, when we were growing up in Long Island and I was a kid, there was a lot of times we didn't even lock the doors at night, but that's because we had the dog there. So you knew if anyone came in, the dog was right there. So that was a default security. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, on Friday, uh, to the mayor's duress, uh, the court system released uh, him in civil court contesting the fines he had received for not doing rat mitigation on his property in Bed-Stuy. It came hand-in-hand with a study done by the city, the analytics of where the most rats per capita per person existed. Washington Heights, where I visited with you, uh, uh, following up on some feral cats uh, who are great at preventing uh, rats uh, and mice and rodents from occupying areas. And when we walked down uh, Broadway, I showed you all the tables outside of retail establishments and the number one product that they were selling was rat poison because of all the rats. So you have Washington Heights and Inwood, the South Bronx, the key areas um, over near Jamaica Avenue in Queens. And the other area cited was Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, which is uh, not all projects. It's not all apartment buildings. you got a lot of brownstones. It's a mixture. Uh, a lot of hipsters and millennials who have moved in, a lot of African-Americans. But the mayor's neighborhood was one of the top five uh, for rats. And he has decided rather than uh, turn it over to somebody else to deal with, he goes into court, he argues with the judge, and they release the tapes on Friday. And here was the judge talking to the mayor who had been issued a number of tickets because of rats that had burrowed into the building that he owns on Lafayette Avenue in Bed-Stuy. Summons alleges a violation of New York City Health Code 151.02a, alleging in an area known to be rodent-infested, active rat signs exist, in that a rat burrow was observed along the ledge of the fence line at front right. You remember you were with me uh, the day we brought the feral cats, Nancy. Remember when I was showing you the burrows uh, that were going right into the basement apartment of his four-story building? Yes. So the person who had written the tickets, who had cited him, very brave woman, I might add, because the wrath of the mayor could have been on her. She might have lost her job or gotten transferred. Uh, she cited him correctly. And the mayor, instead of, hey, apologizing, paying the fine, and dealing with it, 
he blamed his problem on his neighbor. What would you like to tell me about this summons? Uh, the borough is a small hole that is on my neighbor's property. Uh, it's not on my property, and I have photos that I could uh, send uh, to you as evidence. It's like Judge Judy. How many times have you seen Judge Judy, Nancy? And Judge Judy says, do you have photos that I could take a look at? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, uh, unfortunately, he hasn't watched Judge Judy because that was the day to bring the photos. Uh, not not this, let me get it to you. Right. But when we were there, which was soon after the problem was revealed, both properties had rat problems. He had burrows on his property. And remember, I showed you where the rats were going into his neighbor's property, and neither uh, person responsible for the property was uh, adequately dealing with it. Yeah, and, and what what was also called out uh, specifically is what they call, like, the, the nesting. I mean, that's, that's saying that the way that the garbage was assembled and not picked up was creating a situation where you're attracting... Uh, the rats and the mice. I mean, and that's the point. I mean, that had, that's beyond the whole, which, you know, does or does not connect to both of their properties that he's alleging, because what they're saying at a minimum is you got a lot of stuff on your property and you didn't clean it up and that's why they're coming here. So that's that's been declared true. And what was interesting, on the other side of the street of Lafayette Avenue, opposite his building and his neighbor's buildings, people had feral cats. These are outdoor cats. You could see the feral cat houses that had been put out there, the dishes for their water and food, and they had no rats. All the rats were on the side where there were no cats. Yeah, yeah, no. So, um, I, you know, and again, it, this um, rat mitigation zone that, it, you know, is I thought this was something new that's being done, but apparently it's existed um, for many years. The only thing that's new about it is now they're actually publicly telling you which places are the rattiest in the city. That's the only new thing about it. Well, let's flip the script away from rats. Uh, everybody knows what our opinion is on how to deal with rat mitigation, uh, feral cats. And as we saw from Flacco the Owl, who's still out and about, I might add, in Central Park, escaped uh, her cage uh, in the zoo area there and has continued to feast on mice and rats at night in order to Remain self-sufficient. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But this is probably the more bizarre piece of legislation that was being suggested in, I believe, city council. They want to ban wild animals from homes like elephants, tigers, and bears. Oh, my Elephants, tigers, and bears? I mean, are there people who have elephants in their homes and tigers and bears? Well, yeah, apparently it's okay. So I don't think it's a very big problem. It's not something that's being cited in any way, you know, excessively. But there's been a few, um, you know, high uh, notice stories. But particularly, this had to do with, I think, um, like a business called Sloth Encounters, which for years has been, uh, you know, called out by uh, New York because they're trying to shut it down. You know, it's like considered a wild animal. So I think, you know, advancing this sort of initiative, they're saying, oh, we want to prevent people. Now, this this doesn't, um, you know, extend to anything like zoos or animal sanctuaries. 
But, you know, that that becomes a little bit of a tricky thing, too, because, you know, some of these places can can be called animal sanctuaries as well, you know, and also hold an elephant. Uh, you know, look, the zoo, Bronx is, Zoo, is holding uh, happy hostage. You know, that's not uh, considered to be ideal. And, again, the whole purpose of this is really to say that, you know, these are animals which because they're wild and they have, you know, unusual types of needs, they wouldn't really make sense in a, a domestic or a home, like a companion animal type environment, you know, which, uh, okay, understandable, but, you know, it's, it's very interesting that, you know, they don't really extend that to basic pet ownership because anyone can have any type of pet. So, you know, I mean, I, I think the the logic makes sense, but, you know, I think, you know, maybe – it, you know, it would make more sense in a in an area where there's actually something happening, like pet adoptions, actual pets that are in houses. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now, you know, there's that famous Netflix series involving Tiger King, who's now doing triple life without parole, always complaining every second of the day. But there was a guy who was called Tiger Man. He lived in the projects up in East Harlem. He had a 425-pound tiger that he was raising in his apartment, his nice apartment, and he had an alligator in the bathtub. And he had them for years, Nancy. And when finally the city came to uh, take the tiger and the alligator, this is for years, the neighbors said, we had no idea that there was a tiger, a 425-pound tiger and a 8-foot alligator in his bathtub for years. That's good. That's yeah. That's that's. I'm surprised that that would have never gotten out. Well, you know that adds to the street code: snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. Nobody was going to snitch out Tiger Man. Who's... Yeah, he could stick the tiger on you. Exactly. I know it's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. And now it appears that they're coming back. Last year, they were everywhere. The spotted lanternfly uh, bugs are ready to invade along with, and what are these, the stink bug invasion? What What the hell is that? Yeah, I'm not even sure what those are, but so they're clearly starting the the campaign against the lanternfly very early this season. So be on the lookout for some massive uh, lanternfly genocide going on. So apparently... The warm weather during the winter is leading to a lot of different types of insects, um, you know, potentially just um, hatching, uh, you know, coming out early. Now, I know in in Central Park, for instance, they have the cherry blossoms, like those have peaked early this year. So, you know, it's like the combination of the warmer winter and now it getting uh, really warm. So apparently the some lanternflies have in New Jersey – already been spot, spotted, 
and they're already uh, predicting an, an invasion. So, yeah, this this doesn't bode well for them. Wow. So Atlantic fly, but I'd be very interested to know from any uh, of our uh, listeners, what exactly is a stink bug? I mean, I, look, I've come across a lot of bugs in my lifetime, and even bugs uh, of a technological nature that were attached to my phones years ago when I was the object of investigation by the feds and the uh, state authorities. But a stink bug if anybody out there can please explain to me what the hell that is i need to be elucidated along with my wife nancy 1-800-848-9222 that's 1-800-848-wabc and maybe the story of all stories was a group of feral sheep (laughs) that launched a full-scale attack on a village a whole flock of sheep just descended upon a village and started attacking everybody. Where did that happen? Okay, so this is in this is in Wales. Now, uh, you know, apparently they're calling it a gang, so it sounded very interesting. This story, like I, I thought, it was attacking people, but it, it seems to be more setting up shop on people's um, properties, and it's attacking their. Uh, you know, like uh, what they're growing, their property, their houses. And what's going on is maybe one or two will show up, and then the homeowners, you know, try to get rid of them, and, you know, they stand their ground. But then next thing they come back with, like, four or five friends, and then next thing there's, like, 15 friends. So it seems to be a roving gang of, like, 30 of them that show up. (laughs) So a roving gang of 30 sheep that'll be outside your house ready to take you on, like Jets versus Sharks, like Bloods versus Crips. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, Sid Rosenberg is scheduled to be back from having visited his daughter, who goes to college in Wales. Um, If, in fact, I'm on at 7.05, you never know. I'm supposed to be on three times a week at 7.05 in the morning, and sometimes... I get unceremoniously dumped into the street and told, not today, Sliwa. Why? Not today. But anyway, I'm going to bring that to his attention. Uh, Was his daughter ever surrounded by this pack of raving feral sheep that are now a menace to the Welsh society? Yeah, and, you know, they haven't. the funny thing is I haven't seen any pictures of them. So I'm not sure if, you know, if maybe they're just imagining these things going on (laughs) over there. But, I mean, I know there's a lot of drinking that happens. Can you imagine messing with a, a, a gang of feral sheep? Saying, you're not making no lamb chop out of me. You're not You're not taking my wool and making one of those wool sweaters they wear in the U.K. and in Ireland. Wow. Anyway, also, we go to the land down under, which used to be a colony for, a penal colony for prisoners. That's how Australia got started. And apparently, as we have crime in our subways here and in Washington, D.C., they have crime in Chicago on this ETA and Los Angeles on what they call a subway. The problem on the Sydney subway system is that there are two people going back and forth with a platypus. This is like a prehistoric animal. If we went, Nancy, not far from where we live is the Museum of Natural History. And next to Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, the relic there. Is the platypus? What the hell are they talking about, platypus? Yeah, so this is just like an odd story that there was a couple that was spotted uh, in Queensland, 
they took this platypus from a river and they wrapped it in a towel and then they took it on the subway and apparently went shopping with it in like this downtown area. So, <laughs> you know, they're introducing it to people and they're stopping in stores. So there's all of these, um, you know, uh, cameras that have pictures of this couple walking around with it. Now, apparently this is a, um, a really uh, big offense there, uh, removing this from its like wild habitat. So it carries with it a fine of almost three hundred thousand dollars. So whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Possession of a platypus, which is like a prehistoric animal. I didn't even know they were still in existence. If you get caught by the Aussies, uh, you know they got wombats, they got kangaroos, they got the koala bears, right? You know, Qantas Airline, the little baby koala bear was like chewing the eucalyptus leaves, leaves stoned <laughs> out of their mind, and just like. Uh, constantly uh, uh, urinating and defecating, and people love that in the zoos. Yes, they do. But I never saw a platypus in captivity. $300,000 fine? Well, yeah, so it's it's not, um, like, uh, just for the fact of, like, the possession of it. It's for removal of it from the wild. So, you know, my, my guess would be that it's just, it's such a, like, you know, it's such on the brink of it, extinction. But what's funny is when I started, um, you know, looking into this story, uh, you know, they, they were just mentioning like a brief history of this. They said that uh, British scientists had first discovered the platypus in the 18th century, and they thought it was a hoax. Uh, I, I guess they, it was just like the appearance of it, but I thought that was just a funny little, uh, little adding. <laughs> you know, two countries I've been in around the world where if an animal is in the middle of the street, traffic stops to a halt. Yeah. India, obviously. Yeah. We've heard of that. I saw that personally. But Australia, so on a roadway, if you have a wombat, a kangaroo, or a koala bear considered national species to the continent, to the country of Australia, traffic cannot move unless they move off the road themselves. That's the kind of respect that they have for their national uh, animal symbols, which are so, I mean, let's face it, you think of a kangaroo, you think Australia. Koala bear, Australia. Wombat, Australia. Wow. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. When we come back uh, for the Animal Welfare Hour, Nancy, as I continue on my marathon to establish a new world's record of broadcasting that will qualify me as champion in the Guinness Book of Records, we will go to the phones. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. To the phones we go, Nancy, and to Diane, who's calling all the way from Virginia. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Diane. Good, good evening, morning. Uh, Nancy, you have my sympathies. Uh, a stink bug. It's a medium gray insect that is diamond-shaped and hard-shelled. If you squash it, it puts out this absolutely putrid smell. We have them all over in the South. I can't stand them. Um, the other thing, are you going to be affected? That What is that where they change your voice so you talk real rapidly? Is that going to affect your try? for the Guinness Book. Well, when Dominic joins me, I'll explain it a little further as to how it could complicate 
uh, my goal of winning the Guinness uh, World Book of Records of Broadcasting. But it is interesting. So, uh, in essence, uh, the stink bug is like Pepe Le Pew, a skunk. And I got to tell you, Nancy, during the campaign when I was running for mayor, I was in Glendale with some uh, Polish Americans. They live right there in their middle village. And they were having problems because the skunks were coming out of Forest Park. You know, the mommy and the, the father skunk and the little baby skunks. And so I walked right on up to the skunks. And they all were like, don't! If they, if they squirt you, nobody will come near you for like three days. Did you ever deal with skunks out in Bohemia where you were growing up in uh, Suffolk County? You know, I I didn't encounter any myself. Uh I don't I don't recall ever once seeing them um or smelling them. The residents in Glendale were insistent that if I got squirted by the skunks because they would have feared for their baby skunks thinking that I was a predator that it might have taken three days, 72 hours, to get the stink out of my skin and that no voter would have come up to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's advisable to get sprayed by them. I I'm fairly sure it takes a while for the stink to leave. No, but Pepe Le Pew was such a nice skunk in the cartoons, right? The French uh, skunk near the, uh, the Seine River there. Yeah, but he was like a, a, like a genetic oddity. I think his, his stink was, was like cologne. Exactly, or cheap perfume, which is just as bad as skunk smell. Anyway, let's go to Marianne in Philly. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Marianne. Hello, Curtis. Um, I wanted to address the whale situation, if you don't mind. But sure, I, at sure. First, okay, first I would like to wish you a happy birthday. And I would also like to say I'm hoping that Nancy's eyes are better. Yes, yeah, thank you. I, oh, thank, thank goodness, because I was praying for you. And uh, about the whale situation, these whales and dolphins, what happens is that the, the carpet bombing that they're doing with sonar uh, to, to uh, put these uh, wind turbines in are breaking the eardrums of the large fish, and it busts their eardrums, and they bleed from the ears, and this way, it messes up their sonar. They don't know where they are, and they don't know what's around them, and they end up getting killed. Uh, they just die because they, they don't know where they're going. You, you, know, know? you know, that and that, that, is, that is so plausible, Mary Ann. And, uh, Nancy, you and I, we've discussed this, this uh, obstinate approach of those uh, companies that are putting up these uh, windmills offshore, six miles offshore, uh, two companies that have been contracted uh, in the Jersey Shore. It's a Swedish company. On the uh, south shore of Long Island, it is a Norwegian company. But they won't even consider the possibility that the sonar or the blasting that they're doing to in order to embed uh, the uh, tower that's needed to hold the windmill deep within the ocean surface, that that at all could be impairing the whales and the dolphins. Yeah, I mean, and, and once they get disoriented, I mean, the the increased traffic that they have underneath the water, I mean, they're that would that's a very easy thing to figure out. The fact that they're being hit, so there's a, yeah, there's a lot of increased traffic there. So clearly, there's a causal connection 
Um, I, like I said, unfortunately, I think it's it's just going to get so much worse before it gets better. I recommend to everybody listening right now that you go to uh, the WABC YouTube channel. Exclusive to WABC is our animal welfare half-hour video we do each and every week, uploaded on Wednesdays. And the one that you can view now is Episode 7 about this very subject. Uh, you type in Red Apple Media and you will see Nancy uh, explain at length the problems that exist for the whales and the dolphins and why so many of them are impaired and so many of them are washing ashore and share that with people out there. Let's go to Robin calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Hi, Nancy and Curtis. A question. I've talked to you before. My mother and I have a cat, Effie. She's seven years old. And you, Nancy, were talking earlier this this evening about cats and their personalities. Well, we're thinking of wanting to get Effie a mate, a playmate, a friend, because sometimes when we go out, we are out for a couple of hours, and Effie's by herself. And we just feel that Effie might not want to be by herself, but with a friend. But she's not a typical house cat. She's a feral cat um, because when we got her, we were told that she came from the streets. And uh, she's what? She'd been returned, actually, um, in the beginning. And we didn't know that until we got her and we were told at the end, oh, she was returned. So, uh, surprise. So ever since then, she's not been that loving, warm, friendly type of cat, but she's mm, lonely, as my mother puts it. She's a lonely cat. But Nancy, as you were saying this evening, cats have different personalities. If he does, but can you bring in a cat to another cat, even though she's seven years old, to be friends? I mean, so, yeah, right. So definitely, it's something you would have to, uh, you know, you know, figure out kind of slowly. Uh, it may be that you could do something where you're fostering initially, so you're not really making a commitment until you know which personality works. But, you know, off the top of my head, that strikes me as, you know, the situations where I find it uh, it most, um, you know, sort of uh, feasible to introduce a new cat is when they're either very young or very old, right? Because in, in like, both of those extremes, it's like they're not really viewed so much as a threat, I would think like a senior, like an older type cat, where right away it's clear that, okay, this cat isn't going to be aggressive, isn't going to go after you. So it would, if anything, it would kind of want to be, you know, maybe a little more to itself, but I'm sure it would still appreciate companionship. Maybe that's the t- sort of um, personality that might work well. But, yeah, it might be a good idea to just sort of foster a few and see which one works best. And then our final call of the night uh, is from my namesake, Kurt, out in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Kurt. What's up, Curtis? You got me? Got you loud and clear, Kurt. All right, all right. Um, no, because I heard you earlier. You were talking about, you know, rotor control. And, and I want to say this. You know, the, the glue traps, all right, 
Listen, I love animals. I have a dog, all right? He's about 90 pounds. He's a big boy, you know? And when I, the, the, I know people who use the glue traps to control the, 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 the mice in their house, but you know some kind of their torture. It takes a mouse a couple of days to die on that trap. And I think the spring trap, while you were talking about the flap trap, is the best way. It's quicker. Well, I I will tell you, uh, Kurt, I disagree with uh, both. I have seen the snap trap, which is like a guillotine, snap and just get the the rat or the mouse on the tail. And it's horrible. It's horrible as they struggle. Glue trap, likewise. Uh, The mayor put on a... um, a demonstration when he was Brooklyn Borough president where he was drowning rats and then he was taking them out of the um, container with a lathe. I found that to be uh, inhumane and barbaric. Uh, it's not. There's Mother Nature's way is the way that the rat population has been in control. And again, you will never beat the rats. They will be they were here before us. They'll be here after us. Uh, they rule the night. What you really want is detente uh, so they're not out during the day when they're very noticeable and it frightens a lot of people and freaks people out. Uh, but you're never you're never going to eliminate the rats. You're just not going to. Now, Nancy, uh, how can people continue to get in touch with you if they have other questions or, or things that they need to find out involving animal welfare issues? Uh, well, they can go to guardianangels.org and go to the Animal Protection tab, or they can email me directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. And this is the fastest growing of the many hours that I do as I'm on my pursuit here of a Guinness World Book uh, of Record, uh, 32 hours within 96 hours over four days. And I can tell you, the this hour, the Animal Welfare Hour, has more callers, more interest. We get more feedback than any other hour that I do. And, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you're new to the program, just go to WABCRadio.com. That's WABCRadio.com. You go to the podcasting list, and you will see a series of the radio edition Animal Welfare shows that Nancy and I have done spanning back over a year. And then you should share it. Send it to other people. Let them see because there is a lot of information that we put out both in video form here at WABC and radio form that deal with animal welfare issues. So up next, Nancy, I got to deal with Dominic Carter, who was a doubting Thomas the other day as to whether I would be able to establish a new world Guinness broadcasting record for having spent 32 hours of talk time in a four-day schedule. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.